0: For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Visit us online at faith.yale.edu.
1: I've just always had a deep desire for this faith that I believe to have both revealed truth and historical truth. It has to speak to that broader world, whether it's using words like wholeness integration interior life and there's a whole set of things that still i think emerge in mystics throughout the ages saints that you can bring to like the big public zeitgeist of the day and i i care about that like constructive for this world for this era attending to reality as best you can coming to it with compassion and a fellow participant in the wrinkles of the fabric but always the weird ways in which hope doesn't die
0: this is for the life of the world, a podcast about seeking and living a life worthy of our humanity. I'm Evan Rosa with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. There's so many ways to slice the contemporary cultural pie, so many just so stories to explain and construe what really ails us. We're so deeply worried about the world we live in, the world we inhabit, that we're grasping for these explanations, justifications, theories. And that includes me. So here's one worth considering. Contemporary life is a story of fragmentation, longing for integration. You can view it through the lens of mental health. Even if ultimate, complete self-understanding evades us, we still hope for some kind of unified wholeness. You can look at it through the lens of politics. Fragmentation here is all too easy, and we might have to admit that the desire for integration and functional unity is a bit of a unicorn at the moment. You can look at it through the lens of the family. Families of all shapes and sizes and makeups fighting to stay together. To stay cohesive and strong. And you can look at it through the lens of the church. A prayer that we would be known by our love. And yet there's the reality of a brutal, fractious history. This longing for integration is a longing to become whole. Whole and stable. Present and full of agency and creativity. My guest today, Ann Snyder, has been talking about a whole-person revolution for some time. For her, it's a phrase that comes with a very rich tradition behind it. Christian, humanistic, appealing to the dignity in all of us and imagining a human future that lives up to our potential. Anne is the editor-in-chief of Comment Magazine, a journal rooted in Christian social thought and public theology, speaking to what they call the social architecture of life today. Anne's thought leadership and journalistic sense are rooted in a moral imagination that hangs on to a human dignity, envisioning a future that brings personal and communal wholeness, a commitment to truth even when it hurts, and the beauty of pursuing integration in the wake of fragmentation. In our conversation, we discuss the meaning of wholeness, what it could mean to become a whole person, the importance of character, virtue, and moral formation. Yeah, those things still matter. Our need to come to terms with violence listening to the language of threat and safety and preservation and protection. We talk about the connection between cynicism, distrust, and a feeling of threat or a need to survive. And Anne describes a hard-won wholeness rooted in a sober and persevering hope that doesn't die. If you're interested in reading about how Christian social thought can impact social architecture, then head over to comment.org and hope you enjoy the conversation today. Thanks for listening. Ann Snyder, it's so awesome to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, well, thank, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, really.
0: We've already been talking a little bit about what integration means and its familiarity, both as a kind of businessy buzzword, very popular in the sciences, very popular in higher education. You know the world of journalism so well. To talk about whole persons today, I go to integration first, but I, I would love to hear from your perspective. How you landed on that kind of terminology, where what was inspiring you to use the concept of a whole person and then annex it to a term like revolution? I
1: think I started using the word whole person or the phrase probably over 20 years ago, mostly because I was in a liberal arts college context that tried to educate us to not just think in terms of a humanities core, but also globally. And I was around a lot of people. We may have been studying Kierkegaard by day, but a lot of us were digging ditches in Honduras by night or floating through youth hostels in Europe. And we were just, you know, there was sort of a social service element, like social gospel by night, philosophical grounding by day. And just the word that everyone used around me from 18 to 22 was holistic. So not so much whole person, but holistic, where I roll my eyes because it was so overused. But it became like, of course, Like any policy you think about, any human need, any sort of altruistic motion towards another to humanize another is to think of that person whole, which I've come to define now many years later, largely through a journalistic bottom up. Learning nation, which has, I've wound up for some reason having the gift over and over again of meeting all kinds of organizations, typically, sometimes more grassroots communities, but typically like institutional settings that are in policing and healthcare and homelessness mm-hmm. interventions and neighborhood revitalization efforts and just like a wide yeah. range of kind of civil society, sometimes traditional institutions, more often like 21st century upstarts. And when they're doing something right, they often don't scale very quickly or easily. They are not, they're sort of the opposite of McDonald's mm-hmm. somehow. In all yeah. of their language, those organizations that I've seen trying to serve different kinds of pain in the world and different kinds of human beings, whole person was has, has just come up over and over again as they try to put words to their root philosophy. So I think because these kinds of, Often local level, both healthy organizations, but also those that are, say, serving someone who has no home anymore, or a single mom who doesn't know what to do with her one and a half year old, or like, there that notion just was like everywhere in the vocabulary. So that intrigued me. And then I think over time as I've gone a little bit more from journalism to what I still feel like I'm in journalism in a way I run a magazine that's kind of between the academy and the street. And I've tried to weave a little bit more journalistic narrative into it. But I thinking... A lot these days about formation and which maybe a word I'm learning like the broader like secular mm. landscape doesn't always understand what formation is. But as like those of us I think that's right. in like faith worlds think of this yeah. as like the sort of how does a human being how do you build a human being and how do you build more yeah. specifically character, not just IQ and sort of a meritocratic success checklist. And I just so I define it. For the individual, I define a whole person for the individual as like head, heart, and helping hands. So we're not just brains on sticks. We're not just isolated consumers. We don't just usually fulfill one role in the world. We we exist. I'm not that Kyperian, but I do <laughs> like the Kyperian spheres as a framework for understanding. I'm a wife. I'm some form of a leader of a team. I... I'm a writer. I'm a neighbor. I like to cook. I like, you know, so so there's that of just like recognizing the multifacetedness of a human Mm -hmm. being. And I think brain science is like catching up to a lot of this, that there's so much of our unconscious um, and our emotional lives that are driving what we think of as our conscious, often word based output in the world. So that's sort of the individual, which then does relate to integration. And then the only other piece of whole person that I think is important to mention is kind of like our skin is a little bit porous. Like we exist in context and relationships and the way in which we show up in the world is impacted by those relationships, the beautiful aspects of them, the formative pieces, the traumatic pieces, the hierarchical yeah. dynamics, all of that. And it's often happening very much in the background, but you have to understand someone, like when I think of an organization or an institution that's really respecting whole people and their employees, say in a university context, I automatically assume that they, some leader and um, maybe rule book, has figured out how to really integrate departments across like disciplines. And so that the broader context itself is a web and a weave around you Hmm. as you yourself are sort of woven together, body, soul, mind, spirit. So I'm not good at definitions, but that's as succinct as I can be on that.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it's capturing a wide range of human experience that you would want to see as hopefully integrating into one. This is to take a, a kind of step back from the individual level well, and just look yeah. at, a, at the societal level, the level of fragmentation that is sort of feels ob- observable, whether it's characterized as political disintegration or, or uh, like a, an issue of uh, education and, and the crises that surround mm-hmm. how to, how to shape and, and form young children for the future of human society, the the level of fragmentation that's there, Feels like you need to f- to fix it at at the whole level, yeah. and I think one of the things that that is helpful that you seem to be pointing out is it need, we do need to approach it not just at a kind of fix the whole. We have to appreciate all the way down to the individual and their their particular relationships and the kind of the texture of of, of normal life at the individual level.
1: Yeah. I've been thinking about this because we uh, comment is going to try to wander into a f- more fraught waters thematically next year and figure just look at all things violence, which is, of course, a timeless theme, very yeah. timeless, huge Lots of terrain and philosophy, funny enough, as you all know, and trying to think about it specifically in the American context. I'm trying to think, OK, how do we do something fresh around guns? I mean, you got to get like concrete about some of this stuff because this is real. Yeah. These are real bodies and these are. But I just this huge question of like, how do we understand, like what is going on that different groups of people have very different narration of why they feel threatened the the need to protect the need to who who uses the word safety more than others, of course, you know, in, in the American context, the need to sort of bear arms and but but yeah. like I've been doing engrams on Google, look, looking at words that are a little bit more sort of violent in nature or very self-protective. Oh, yeah. And I do think self-preservation and self-protection just is a thing in the zeitgeist of our time more now Mm -hmm. than I think 10 years ago than 10 years before that I just sense the sort of moral compass behind a lot of social media statements behind sort of like call to quote community or call to tribe is on all sides, like left, right, on different um, groups with different inheritances and American experiences, something about, I don't have bandwidth to cross the barrier of my own reality and enter yours. And so anyways, I've just, I'm just getting into this in my own, frankly, research and thinking about fresh messengers to thread this needle in a way that won't turn off half the country. But what that's just an example like what what is going how, do we actually all have the same fears and we're just expressing mm-hmm. it in wildly different and publicly polarizing ways or we actually do yeah. have very different fears and yet fear is the common <laughs> denominator and you have to get into any of that to try to draw some like common threads out that get beneath the seeming like incommensurability and ultimately i would say some chaos in our public understanding you have to get into the the well, long personal narratives, the literally the landscape, the topography of these very different players, and that's like a fascinating. I mean, that's a wonderful book project, <laughs> but it it's, really, a, it's you know, it would be amazing. It, to you, it has that. to be bottom up and top down, like always somehow eventually like yin and yang, like meeting one another and corroborating one another.
0: So. It does, and, and that's why I think like the concept of wholeness it demands, and you know we can define wholeness at its kind of at at its from its widest scope, or we can uh, look at what it takes for, you know, the component atomic parts of a given whole structure to be well integrated in the way that they are. Yeah. And, you know, but I just think we need to understand what's at stake and understand the, the, the hope for the whole picture.
1: It's, it also requires I. and it'll be interesting to see this develop ideally in like concrete, credible ways and not just super vague ways. For But the Western inheritance intellectually like has a certain definition of what is logical, has a certain like yeah. pedagogical way of under, you know, you could argue it's the industrial model. It's one plus two equals three. There's... Um, there's people way smarter than I who, but you know, you've, you've had different somewhat new agey intellectual movements over the last century. Like who's the guy who did integralism? You'll probably know who that is. Different colors, but, but there's, you have sort of the hippie versions. You of course have indigenous, like truly indigenous, like yeah. ancient way. And I think, you know, the West is often critiqued on like the East for being very reductive and yeah. doesn't think in terms of holes, Likes to divide things up into binaries or more like we're, yeah. we have more lines, whereas other parts of the word, if you'll forgive me, are like curvier. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sure. and I and I I do think there's it'll be it, it'll be interesting as in so far as this bent towards appreciating quote wholeness mm-hmm. broadly as individuals in our, like how vocabulary changes and how frankly some of our maybe even philosophical education shifts to literally like change. A little, a little bit the way mm. the brain absorbs reality. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about people who are like well past their second mountain, just in terms of both suffering and maturity and peace. Mm. And, you know, some of mm. them live in this, like all is love. I don't have any such thing as an enemy. And I'm, I always feel there's a part of me that's yeah. still like Western enough in this intellectually where I'm like, yeah. no, but you probably do have an enemy. Could you just name, <laughs> but they don't want to think that way. Like everything is connected. interesting. Oh, no, I'm interested to follow that.
0: There's an important place of belonging for like, Moral realities, right? There's got to be, because but I think we intuit them at one level. We all intuit moral atrocities, whether they come up close or we just uh, have the kind of lives that allow us to view them from afar. Those kind of moral realities are are absolutely there, and I think I think that's a huge challenge to what you would think of as an easier kind of wholeness, but a hard one. Wholeness yeah. sure does sound yeah. appealing. Yeah, where you can, uh, and I would quote like Flannery O'Connor here, where you, you can, with one eye squinted, take it all as a blessing. Mm-hmm. I can see its place in my life, even if it's not one I ever would have wished for myself or anyone else. Even if it's one that feels too severe, or traumatic, or full of pain and suffering, we all still seek that kind of hard one wholeness. And I think it's what makes us rightfully react to what feel like soft and it's a kind of, it's an easy wholeness. It's easy to talk about.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's a a very important distinction. I have a lot of like concrete examples and gritty places coming to mind of hard-earned wholeness. And it usually is a decades-long project. This is healing relational divides and brokenness. This is healing. And healing is even a word that I think has a tenuous place these days in our public life, sure. which is pathetic too. And I feel like I need yeah. to meditate more on why that is.
0: What moral realities do you find yourself most concerned with when it comes to hmm. the this kind of hard won wholeness?
1: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is age old, but it feels disguised in a lot of therapeutic blessing mm-hmm. these days. And that is just like the curling inward around the self. That concerns me. And I see it in myself. Mm. I see it in our public domain and discourse. I see it when I think about any collective, there's that word again, um, but any sort of uh, social organism, whether hierarchical or egalitarian, porous or closed, that brings human countenances from really ruddy criminal backgrounds to addiction backgrounds Mm. to no committed adult ever who looked them in the eye backgrounds to
0: yeah.
1: hyper going to Yale, meritocratic achievatron backgrounds. Like think about any change in people who the stories of brokenness are so wide-ranging, um, and often not always so-called their own fault, like again, very like, you know, contextually fed, who enter into soberly enter into and I well I mean that like philosophical like sober-minded they enter into a sort of regimen that could be two years long it could be decades long it could be just a new logic of life new set of commitments new set of new year's resolutions but it's communally held and accounted for whose countenances shift from essentially like looking down to looking out with joy and self-respect and like healthy self-regard but also regard for others and like somehow wind up Gaining the skills and that background, like embodied practical wisdom to, to sort of weave with others more fluidly, like whether it's learning how to be a great team player, whether it's being a person of encouragement, whether it's having a bit of a, a, a lightness of foot. When I watch those transformations in countenance occur in a wide variety of settings, there has been some f- switch of the key to not be like a snail inward, but to find the paradox, like you find yourself and you lose yourself. And I, I, there's yeah. just something, hmm. and it's very tricky. There's so many nuances and every sort of, I'd say cultural inheritance and peoplehood that has deeply suffered and so on. Like there, there is real credence for like, Phrases that I don't love, like self care, and you know, I will, yeah. I'm not going to raise a stink about that stuff overly. But I, I see the solutions that people are looking for: a sense of peace and and out of a mindset of scarcity and survival, not one of like abundance yeah. and thriving. And I just think that you know, to get to abundance, it, there is like a death to self, and so I, I don't see any solutions in the individualist self preservation. Um, I see that as a result of like wounding and distrust. So that's the first thing that came to mind, like what troubles me. But and I, you know, I share in that problem, like everybody, partly in my case, I often just attribute it to something as shallow as like feeling completely overwhelmed and overextended and too alone and like dealing with like wanting to be wanting to live and confront a whole world and address it and delight in it and labor in it and be whole myself, but so often feeling frittered in a million directions. So that's out of a shallow, it's not a particularly like moral way of no, putting I, it,
0: but I hear what you're saying. I want to ask it also through the lens of cynicism. You brought up cynicism earlier, and I mm-hmm. do think that connections between distrust, a kind of existential threat that leads to a, a dire need to self-preserve where, where there's the feeling of, I don't, I'm not sure I might make it through this day or, or, uh, I can't handle that relationship.
1: It's, it has too many complexities. I just need to cut it off. Some such purists, I think often just in a desire to keep afloat.
0: Yeah. And then we end up affirming that those elements of us, which our better selves wouldn't want to affirm, would want to deal with, would want to just at at some like basic level to transcend perhaps for the sake of some grander vision of what, what we hope is true, what we hope is possible for us in terms of our felt sense of purpose and the meaning of all this. And I'd love to just get some of your thoughts on factor of cynicism uh, and distrust and how that threatens, uh, whether it's an individual or a community.
1: I mean, I think so much of cynicism, the only way to cut through it is and here's the personalist in me. It's consistency, rich, consistent, ritualized, embodied presence with another person or group of people. I'm, I'm reminded of how I was kind of a second family for us in the early marriage. Pre-COVID was a pretty rambunctious group of 20-somethings, late teen 20-somethings who were right. all artists. Um, most of them had not grown up with a committed adult or kind of parent in their lives. Some, some still had like moms. They were, they were from pretty, you know, tough parts of town in DC, and we had weekly dinners and holidays, and it's his own story of how this sort of chosen family all grew. It was about thirty people by the t- time COVID hit. Of probably like twenty young people, and then there were about ten of us who were like older adults who sociologically came from like a lot more like social capital, and you know, yeah. uh, like aunts and uncles essentially. And hmm. I felt, and this could be na- my naivete or ignorance or. Certainly, I'm sure privileged speaking, but I felt that there was, it was a table of radical mutuality, a lot of joy. We would all cry together at different things to share about our lives. Like even despite the fact that, you know... A girl had just gotten raped two days prior, but and there was a gun and the mm. hat and there was like all these horror stories. Mm. And I had like stories of like how it was just really difficult to get the word character through the public square. You know, it was just we our stuff. talking about a
0: different kind of obstacle.
1: Oh, yeah. And it was you know, but I felt like this is a picture of what it is to just gather across our in this case, socioeconomic and racial ethnic zip code divides around one table. And this is truly a feeling of, of family and we're having a bridge to one another's cultural reference points and COVID hit and with distance. And then the, frankly, the politics of the summer of 2020 and sort of the, I think yeah. out of isolation came this fervor in that whole summer, which we all remember much of which was in my view justified. And sometimes a country needs a shock of a wake up call instead of like gradual reform. So I, I remember like the relationships in that community, the Instagram posts I was watching and even text messages and stuff. It was like, all you people, your silence is violence and all all those like hashtag. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, gosh, like just in a few months of not being able to show up as complex human beings and their power imbalances, of course, because of what the world like, gives to each of us and yet you know there's age different you know there's the chasms that i felt like we were at least if not able to band-aid at least feel melt away to some degree through music and good food and like intentional times of sharing what we were grateful for and what sucked that week etc like Mm. with that ritual gone and just like then being zapped back into our sociological categories as say the media or politician, I don't want to create enemies here, but no, like no. we're, we're sort of presenting each of our individual lives, according to these various narratives, battling for legitimacy in the American moment. Mm-hmm. I just, it was, I was like, wow, maybe that's just what happens. Like I, I watched cynicism arise in the vacuum of encounter and I hate yeah. to be so basic about it, but. And that doesn't scale very quickly or easily, but something about that, that I think is a key to what a lot of us have lost. And I think a lot of us might be a little less cynical if none of, if we just, and I'm someone who travels on airplanes a lot for my work, but if we all just stopped flying airplanes and stayed put, maybe a lot of the problems in the country would be resolved if we just kind of really knew every neighbor and really knew every, you know. And I, again, I say that in a, in a socially rich, overly educated city, I'm not sure I would say that if I was living in rural Ohio. So again, this, these get to, how do you feel when you're on the inside of a community that feels like its soul is dead and its brains are gone? And, you know, I'm saying this from my context, but.
0: Yeah. But a concept of truly encountering one another and being open to the surprise of the other and staying curious instead of cynical. Um, I I'm beginning to see a little bit about that concern about turning inward or to turn inward as a means of healthy self-understanding. And again, like to say integrated would be integrated relationally and integrated with respect to one's community and one's commitments to that community. And then when, if that's encouraged to a point or allowed to persist to a point where it, it prevents us from truly seeing another individual across from us as another universe of interesting things and uh, a universe of potential, maybe that there's all sorts of possibilities that transcend our own expectations or assumptions about what they might be. And and that's what I'm, that's, I think what I mean by to stay surprised or to stay open to surprise for what that relationship might do. What kind of values are you hoping to instill for public theology and ability to not just along theological lines, of course, but along like moral discourse. Yeah. What, what kind of, what kind of values are you hoping to instill and, and represent your comment?
1: I mean, I would say human dignity is primary and I don't mean that. I mean, I love me a good Catholic encyclical. I don't mean that in an overly encyclicized way. Like it's a very common <laughs> phrase and especially the Catholic world, but that's like a real lived thing. And that affects the tone yeah. of voice we're we work with authors to hone it affects the particular angle of an interest or a curiosity that is how we would maybe look at all something like violence or like what we're doing right now on gender or AI mm-hmm. perhaps next year you know these various yeah. things that are out there in the public yeah. um, and th- so there's just a deep like concern for the human and concern for human beings having as much handholds as possible, as much oxygen as possible to discover a still more whole way to live per our conversation. And that's a lifelong thing. I don't think any of us achieve it perfectly. Um, We, in our case, you know, I think the theology piece, we are coming from what we call 2000 years of Christian social thought. And it's interesting, like I Mm -hmm. sometimes get dragged into, or I, I should say invited into conversations with other, like what I call like professional faith people who, often I find are like very invested in the like, how is the church doing conversation? And Mm. I don't mean to sound like snobby or indifferent to that because I care. I do care about the broad church and all the different ways. In fact, we'll probably we'll be doing some work on that more intentionally Mm. as comma in the next six months. But I just have realized weirdly in the last couple of weeks, A, I think for a variety of reasons, just out of my own background, I, I have this deep romanticism of like Dorothy Day meets Paul Tillich meets Reinhold Niebuhr meets MLK meets, you know, like these people who like out of the riches of a tradition that has been trying to understand the order of loves from the perspective of like God's creational reality and then how that impacts different eras of history and power and order and say the democratic context, like I have a, I romanticize, but also like still look up to these like cataclysmic, whether it's the Great Depression, World War II, and not just in the American context, but the world, like people who like took a second and said, wait, whether it's totalitarianism or how we're treating creation and, and the environment or inequality or, you know, labor movement. Like I've just always had a deep desire for this faith that I believe to have some both revealed truth and historical truth, it has to speak to that broader world. And I'm not so interested in what I can call navel gazing, like ecclesial navel gazing. And I've just realized in the last couple of weeks that maybe I should be less snobby about that because I, I get very impatient with the, what's the state of evangelicalism? And partly because I see it, it's triggered often by... People's reactions to the political landscape, which I just feel is a pretty thin, symptomatic way to assess.
0: It also feels a lot like a like its own kind of turning inward. It might not be at an individual level, but that that kind of is also
1: that's how I feel. And yet, you know, I have this wonderful colleague who we were talking about at the outset, Jeff Reimer, and we have some healthy, I think for me, at least intellectually broadening friction. We disagree on a bunch of things, just instincts. We, we're in different parts of the country, different formation. And I was just thinking the other day, I was like, I feel like one of his many gifts and perhaps loves is to have not an intra, like Catholic or intra, but like to to get to sort of deep nuance theologically for those who are already inside this particular world. And I think I've never thought of myself as evangelistic, but just this recent experience, like being pleasantly surprised at how bringing a fairly robust with some fear and trembling, like theological anthropology to some Mm -hmm. understanding of male, female, but like trying to get into it in my own case, through my, a little bit, my own personal reflections, all the feedback that has been like very moving to me has come from like super progressive secular readers who have just been like so grateful that someone is coming from a different frame. That's not like purely in, in the gender case, say like the JK Rowling, like politicized yeah, Like there's something fresh in this imagination we're bringing. So though yeah. biblical vocabulary and categories and that metaphysic is lost, I think we're not necessarily going to get it back in the U.S. And there's good and bad things to that. There, I think there is a, whether it's using words like wholeness, integration, interior life, and there's a whole set of things that still, I think, emerge in mystics throughout the ages, saints that you can bring to like the big public zeitgeist of the day. And I care about that, like constructive for this world, for this era, attending to reality as best you can, um, coming to it with compassion and a fellow participant in the wrinkles of the fabric, but also the always the weird ways in which hope doesn't die. So I, th- I was going to read you something. I was thinking about public theology because I don't feel I define it in a very you? succinct way. I was doing a project. I was running comment but I started this other thing called Breaking Ground, which I, I was digging into this longer standing Christian humanist tradition, which is how I'm tentatively trying to. Label or couch a lot of what comment is trying to do in the world, and yeah. not a lot of people of faith of a certain generation don't like that phrase because they hear humanist and they hear like godless and so on. But, anyways, that's its own conversation. Interesting. Speaking of words <laughs> and interpretations, but there was this body of people in World War II, actually, or prior to the war who were like sensing something amiss in Germany in the 1930s. And it was basically like some sociologists, uh, philosophers, physicists, people in pretty senior levels of government who came from all over Europe, starting in 19, I want to say 36, 35, 36, who would gather and they were convened by this guy, J.H. Oldham. He's not very well known, but he was very beloved at the time. He was like, he was a true convener host. And he just was like, we need to something cataclysmic is happening in our world. Does Christianity specifically have anything to say? Um, What is the role of education in forming human beings? They were big questions and he would gather these people and they started, they would meet regularly, come prepared with like lectures and debate. And then as the war started, and then especially the UK got into it, it became more and more difficult and logistically like perilous for them to gather, but they still would. So I just about back in 21, they were an inspiration for me as I was thinking yeah. about this breaking ground project in the context of the pandemic. Hmm. And I just recently just, I was cleaning out a desk and this quote fell out, which I thought, Oh, this is so beautiful to me. And it's definitely hmm. going to sound a little old school. I'm just going to read it. This is old. No, and he was I think trying to, I don't know when exactly he said this during what was called Oldham's Moot, but this community that formed of question askers and wrestlers. But he said, God does not call us to withdraw from the world, but believing in him and abiding in him to press into its living heart, to open our eyes to all its truth, to sound the depths of its need and to meet and overcome its sin. Only in doing this can we know what the love of God is. It is only in attempting to apply the law of Christ to the whole of our social and national life and in seeking to evangelize the whole world that we shall become rooted and grounded in love. I just sort of appreciated the charismatic prayerful element of public theology that I see emblemized both in his life and in this statement and the sense Mm. of like, you discover God through like uncovering the reality of our world and all of its like moral topography. And that's actually there that you somehow discover the infinite depths of this love that has a way of moving in real ways we can name and see in our lives and in the broader body politic.
0: Amazing. Amazing and seeing that the end of that quote it, it that it's cognizant of a kind of love yeah. loving presence that's there i think that's the characterizing wholeness as a kind of love
1: yeah exactly
0: seeking a whole person revolution through love is is quite fitting and is not a tired term whatsoever
1: yeah. amen yeah that was beautiful
0: i'm really grateful for your work and comment. What I see is a kind of curiosity and patience for just a wide range of intellectual work that really has social feet.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Evan.
0: Of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture at Yale Divinity School. This episode featured Ann Snyder. Production assistance by Macy Bridge, Alexa Rollo, and Tim Berglund. I'm Evan Rosa, and I edit and produce the show. For more information, visit us online at faith.yale.edu, where you can find past episodes, articles, books, and other educational resources that help people envision and pursue lives worthy of our humanity. If you're new to the show, Remember to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a faithful listener and you like what we're putting out, we have a request. Would you tell a friend? Would you share an episode? Maybe you could hit the share button for this episode, send a text or an email to a friend, put it in your social feed. You could even add a short review of the show in Apple Podcasts, sharing about a particular episode or the show in general. Whatever it is, in your own words, we'd love to know what's most meaningful to you. Thanks for listening, friends.